Here in the West, ice is just starting to form at lower elevations and a bunch of people are fixing to have some time off for Christmas break. What does that mean? Opportunity fishing. And we're going to talk about that on this episode of Fishful Thinker, the podcast. I'm Chad Lachance and you're listening to Fishful Thinker, the podcast. All things fishful, all the time. Hey guys, Chad Lachance here. Thanks so much as always for tuning into this episode of Fishful Thinker, the podcast. Of course, brought to you as always by the fine folks at Sportsman's Warehouse. It's the holiday season. Be sure you visit those guys at sportsmans.com or any one of 140 plus stores nationwide. As I just said, guys, the Christmas season is upon us, or holiday season, whatever uh, whatever fits for your specific thing. And uh, what that basically means in Colorado, where I'm based out of, and all over the West here, is it's getting cold. It's just starting to get some ice here and there in the higher elevations. Some guys are actually out on ice, ice fishing right now. But here at the lower elevations of Colorado, where I live, and a lot of other places around the West, uh, it's just now getting cold enough to where we start considering some ice around the edges of the lake, but it's not here yet. Furthermore, uh, in a lot of the Western states, you're going to see trout stocking go on in September, October, November as the water cools down. Those trout will get extremely busy this time of year as they start feeding up in the various ponds and reservoirs that they've been stocked in. They'll be feeding heavily headed into wintertime, and that bodes really well for guys that just want to go out and catch some fish. And I know uh, a lot of my friends that have real jobs, that like nine to five type jobs that aren't traveling fishermen per se, uh, a lot of them are going to have some time off this time of year, and maybe you're going to as well in the, in the coming week or two. And I'm of the opinion that stocker trout, freshly stocked trout, um, are a great giggle factor fish. They're the bluegill of the West, uh, so to speak. They're easy to catch. There's lots of them typically, and they're perfect for a little short family outing in the afternoon. Uh, maybe take a kid quick that's out of school for the holidays, take them out for a quick fishing trip, or maybe even want to eat one or two of them, put them on the smoker or give them a brine, whatever. I'll be the first to admit they're not the most delicious fish in the world to eat, but they are definitely edible, and with a little bit of uh, a little bit of care, they can be made pretty good. And I typically will make them into dip and serve that with some sort of a smoked fish, like I said, as a smoked fish dip around the holidays is kind of an appetizer. But Let's not get too far into that. We got to catch them before we can eat them, right? And so I'm going to talk about that a little bit because it's the rest of the year I don't even target stalker trout. Let me just be candid about that. It's not a fish that I chase. Um, it's There's tons of them in the lake that I live on. Pretty much every fishable lake in Colorado, particularly all the reservoirs and many of the smaller gravel quarry ponds, all have stalker trout in them. Colorado Parks and Wildlife stocks bajillions of them uh, of what they call catchable trout that are somewhere right around 10 inches long when they're put in the lake. And they're, as I've already mentioned, very, very uh, voracious eaters. Those guys will start chowing. As soon as they find a food source in the lake, they will go to town on it. And uh, and this time of year, hyperphagia is still upon us, which is the, the fall feeding binge. They will feed right up until ice in uh, as aggressively as they can. And my, my office overlooks uh, a bay in the lake. I can see the lake. And I can see the amount of time the trout are spending feeding high in the water column, and it's a lot of the time. It's a high percentage of the time that they're feeding very high in the column, right under the surface. In some cases, I can see them picking off little bugs, what appear to be maybe snow midges. 
in some cases, they're more aggressive swirls, which I believe they're picking off a bunch of the shad that are running right under the surface at that point. But regardless, they're feeding heavily, and that makes them willing biters. And again, that's what makes them... That's the fun part. That's the charm in them. It's one of the easier bites you're ever going to get uh, at any given time of year is, is trout that were stocked in the last, say, three months right before the lake ice is in. They're, they're very easy to catch at that point, and that makes them great for people who don't fish a lot. Like I said, for maybe your kid who might be out of school, uh, maybe you just want to have a little quick, short, fun outing with some friends with an hour to kill during a warm part of the day. But keep it simple is the, is the whole scenario with the, with the stalker trout game. Now, having said that, uh, there's definitely some nuances to catching them. And as with always with trout, it comes down to where do we catch them first? And as I've already mentioned as well, I'd say I can see them in my bay right here. And that should give you a first clue right off the bat. Any of the reservoirs around, if you're going to address them in reservoirs, meaning, you know, I don't know what the exact definition of a reservoir versus a lake is, but I envision a reservoir with an inlet, an outlet, uh, boat ramps of some sorts, a large dam, and it's a relatively big body of water, a couple hundred acres bare minimum, maybe 10,000 acres, whereas a lake, smaller, maybe not with a natural dam, uh, still potentially going to have some trout on it and uh, out it. it trout in it. Let me try that one more time here. Trout in it. And particularly in the case of Colorado, pretty much all the reservoirs and most of the lakes are stocked. I know that same case in, in a lot of Wyoming and Utah as well. Uh, meaning that if you live anywhere near any of these places, you can probably go get in on some of the action. One of the best things about stalker trout, particularly at this time of year, where they haven't been in the lake for a whole long time, is like any other fish, they'll stay relatively close to where they were stocked. And most of the time here in Colorado, at least, they will back a hatchery truck right down the boat ramp and they'll dump them all out of a tube right into the lake. And what that means is as far as those trout know that are 10 inches long, they got dumped in the lake in as good a spot as any and they will stay there because as I've said on a bajillion podcasts, uh, boat ramps typically have access to deep water. They have changes in structure and cover to them. They typically have a variety of things going on around them with broken rock, you know, riprap potentially, obviously a concrete ramp itself, maybe some bu uh, you know, um, boulders, you know, whatever. Uh, all kinds of stuff can be around boat ramps. And that's why they're good places to fish. Um, also makes good place to stock trout because they can drive the truck right down the, to the water to do it. And what that means to you as an angler, besides that they're normally good places to fish, is a lot of those stalker trout will stay close to there, and that's a clue as to where you can go find them, which is also a good thing because in a lot of cases in, in here in Colorado, because of aquatic nuisance species inspections, boat ramps actually close to boat use, which means you can go stand on the boat ramp and fish, and you're not going to bother anybody. You're not going to be in anybody's way. There's not going to be a boat trying to launch around you or anything like that. So you can stand on the boat ramp and fish. And I'm going to advise you do that. Uh, I've been meeting my camera guy, who's one of my absolute best friends, uh, over at the boat ramp on a somewhat regular basis just to go mess around with a little trout, maybe crack a beer and enjoy a, an hour in the afternoon. And it's really fun because I can throw a light or an ultralight spinning rod and I can catch them. He wants to throw a fly rod. He's got his 13-year-old his son that he's teaching to fly fish. 
the 13-year-old gets a chance to get a bunch of, of reps in with a fly rod, um, meaning that he's making a long throw. He can strip the bug all the way back to himself, so he's getting good retrieve skills and then stretch the cast back out. Also, he's going to get a lot of bites, so he will have an opportunity to uh, experiment, experiment with hook setting and fish playing and quote-unquote getting them on the reel and all the other things that need to, need to be learned when it comes to fly fishing. And so... But like a typical young teen, he may not have the attention span that that uh, some others might have, and therefore having plenty of action will help. And it also helps when you can see them rising around. And like I've already said, they're spending a high percentage of the day feeding on or just below the surface to where they'll give themselves away. And that gives you an opportunity to decide where to fish pretty easy because you can see them. So that's a, a grand thing in the, in, the, uh, in the scheme of catching fish is to be able to know exactly where they're feeding and it's a high percentage chance they're going to be somewhere near a boat ramp. I've have a mantra of inlets, outlets, boat ramps, and dams. And in the case of this particular conversation, uh, inlets and outlets and boat ramps are all going to be critical, potentially more so than dams. And the other place that I may find them is on shallow flats. And the reason they do that, the reason the stalker trout will get up on the shallow flats is the bug life. The, the, the big, expansive shallow flats, like in a bay behind my house right here, uh, you might be 100 yards across there with only a couple feet total difference in, in depth change, and it might only be a couple, three feet all the way across there. Uh, what that does is allow the sun in the afternoon to heat the bottom of the lake up a little bit and get the bugs going. So the trout will come in there. Or conversely, the shad will come in there to feed on the snow midges and the trout will come in and get those shads. So it's not just necessarily about the snow midges. And I want to be quick and throw out one thing right here. I am not going to suggest that you match the hatch. Um, the problem with this matching the hatch is they're talking about, you're talking about little tiny bugs this time of year, like little tiny bugs, like size 24, 26, 28, like real small little bugs. And you're talking about fish that are feeding very, fairly voraciously. So I don't need to throw exactly what they're feeding um, to them. I don't need to throw a size 28 snow midge in front of one. Can I do that? Absolutely. If you can see them and want to throw them in front of individual fish. Uh, but if you can't see them cruising and you can't pinpoint which direction they're moving, putting that little tiny bug out there and letting it float and hoping to get their attention with it is not a really high percentage thing, especially when they're willing biters. So I'm going to recommend that rather than trying to match with their fishing, if you're going to fly fish for them, get a small soft tackle bug of some sort. Uh, I mean, literally a classic old partridge soft tackle with just maybe an orange or a pink floss body on it and a, and a partridge soft tackle. About as simple of a fly as you can get, a little wet hackle or, or a wet fly. Uh, maybe a size 16, maybe a 14, maybe a 12. Doesn't have to be that small. Uh, and then throw that thing out, let it settle just under the surface and strip it back. That can be an excellent, uh, excellent way to get it get them caught without getting too stressful about it. Having said that, you can also throw a whole range of other things. Uh, camera guy Tim's been working on tying a specific little leech fly. It's really kind of looks like a leech. I mean, it's a generic uh, fly that he's been working on. Uh, got a heavy tungsten bead on it, a little bit of squirrel hair or squirrel fur strip on it. Very, uh, very subtle action to it in the water. Very supple, I should say, action to it in the water. 
Well, it's way bigger and way more fast sinking than anything these trout are eating, but it's an opportunity thing. So he can throw it and strip it and the fish will see it and get a hold of it and they bite it early and often right in the middle of a snow midge hatch that are little teeny tiny bugs. So again, don't get hung up on matching the hatch. I like a little soft tackle because it's fun to throw. And that's another reason that I think a fly rod's fun in this scenario, even though I'm more of a spin fisher than I am a fly fisherman. I've been fly fishing my whole adult life. And I'm 53 years old here in a month, so I've been at it a while. And I love to fly cast more than I love to fly fish. I love stretching a fly cast out. Well, standing on the boat ramp is an excellent place to practice that as well. I don't have to have a heavily weighted fly, like I said, that little soft tackle fly or a lightly weighted, I mean, just a basic hair's ear uh, nymph. I mean, a very basic little nymph, a pheasant tail, anything like that will get bit. Uh, just make it big enough they can find it and strip it back. Well... I can stretch that out on a five weight and make 60 to 90 foot casts just for the sake of being able to practice doing that and the feel of doing that. And like I said, I love the feel of fly casting and this is an excellent opportunity to practice fly casting. Oh, by the way, you're probably gonna catch a bunch of fish along the ways. And the longer the cast you can make, the longer you can retrieve that fly back and the more time it spends in the water. So it actually behooves you to make a big, long, giant cast as opposed to being in the river where, in most cases, the farther you get the fly away from you, the less chance you have of, of, of getting whatever bite, uh, hook set, and fish landed because of the current. But here in the lake, you, if, you can, if you're capable of throwing an 80-foot cast, throw it 80 feet out there. And, and it gives you more chance, again, to, to work on all of the things involved with fly fishing uh, you can practice roll casting for that matter, which I, is it required in this scenario? Absolutely not. You can stay in the boat ramp. You have plenty of room for a back cast. But a roll cast in that scenario will make it such that when you need a roll cast, now you have an excellent opportunity to practice it. So when you need it, you have it. And uh, so this is a scenario that I'll do that as well. The other thing... Um, about it that's really important, I feel like, is you're gonna get a lot of bites, which means you have a, a good opportunity for putting together as tight of a pattern as you can, which will help you as a skill set as an angler. I mean like the nuances, like am I stripping it one feet or two feet at a time? On the last bite, I only stripped it 12 inches and it got bit. So the next one, I'm gonna strip it the same amount and see if it's repeatable kind of thing. And really focus on is fine-tuning your pattern or your details as many as you can so that you can catch them as fast as possible if that's what your mindset is. Uh, and for that reason, I think the fly is a great tool. It's also, in my opinion, sometimes a little bit easier to get bites with the fly than it is a lure of some sort with these little trout because they are more inclined to grab small stuff if they can see it is the thing. So that's why I'm not an advocate of the tiny little fly. I can get their attention with a bigger fly and they will still bite it. So I think it's a great call. I throw a floating fly line for it. I don't get throw a sinking line, anything like that. The fish are high in the column. Uh, you can keep your leaders fairly simple. I like a relatively long leader for this from the standpoint that it's good at practice turning that leader over. So again, it's a fly casting practice thing with a bunch of willing participants. And that's what I think the best part of the, of the scenario is. The other thing is if you are going to eat fish, these are guilt-free eaters, no question about it, because they get stocked by the tens of thousands. If you want to make some dip, as I mentioned in the beginning of this, or something to take to a holiday party, it, hey, you got bragging rights that you caught it yourself. And when you tell somebody it's a stalker trout and your buddy turns his nose up at it, just make sure you stern made your dip real tasty. If you have questions on that, shoot me an email. I'll send you some fish dip recipes. But 
I love smoked trout for fish dip and the holidays is a great time to do it. So I think it's, it's guilt-free in that regard as well. Now, if you're not a fly fisherman uh, or you're not inclined to take your fly rod to the lake and do that, or maybe you're taking your kids or whatever the case might be, the spinning rod is no problem. I'm going to recommend an ultralight or a light rod. I'm going to recommend small lures um, somewhere in the two inch or less range, two and a half inch or less range. Could be a small jig, uh, a two and a half inch gold minnow on a 16th ounce jig head, a 16th ounce Berkeley power switch, uh, a little inch and a half long tube jig of some sort, a little marabou jig of some sort is a good call, a little crappie jig, something like that. And even a little hard bait, like a number three or a number five um, Berkeley hit stick or something along those lines, a little tiny flicker shad. Uh, any of those can be excellent calls for these fish. The, the big thing is with the spin, spinning rod, it's all about the speed in which you retrieve it. And the more um, detail you can pin down on that, the better off you'll be. Now, I've seen scenarios here in the last two weeks where one of them bites it sitting still with your little hit stick. The next one bites it on a full speed retrieve. Um, then you make 10 casts in a row and nobody bites it at all for no apparent reason. So I believe that the hard baits are less consistent than small jigs, tube jigs, things like that at this time of year uh, where I can really work it out. If the water's warmer and fish are, are a little bit more aggressive, they've been in the lake a little bit longer, they're more pishkavish in nature, meaning they're eating fish more consistently, uh, then the hard baits, in my opinion, will outshine. But in this particular scenario, a small jig of some sort or a very small hard bait is going to be your best friend. When it comes to colors, I want to get their attention. So if the reservoir you're fishing has dirtier water to it, more stain in the water, I'm going with my oranges, reds, and pinks. If it's very clear, like my particular reservoir is here, like real clear, a couple, three, four feet, bare minimum of visibility. In a lot of areas, if it's calm out, it'll be more like 10 feet of visibility very clear water. Uh, in that scenario, then I'm going to go with my very natural colors for the most part with maybe just a touch of something hot colored on it. So in other words, like like Tim, my, my buddy Tim, uh, putting a hot colored bead on an otherwise naturally colored fly. So there's a little three millimeter or four millimeter bead that the, that the trout can pick out and, and key on, but the rest of the fly is substantially more uh, natural looking than that. So uh, leaders, smaller is always better as far as getting bites. Uh, having said that, it's a little bit harder on fish. If you're not gonna keep any of these fish, I'm gonna recommend you land them as fast as possible and get them unhooked because there's no point in playing them out. And they are, <clears throat> excuse me, they are stalker trout, they will bite. A, you know, a 4X tippet, just fine. They're not going to get hung up. Oh, he's got too heavy. They're not line shy. They're not that smart yet. By next spring, maybe they will be. But right this minute, they're not yet. And so it's a great chance to just go out and, and not have all the details have to be perfect for you to catch them. And that's important. Another thing I want to throw out for them, if you're a bait person or if you're taking a kid who wants to throw bait or taking somebody new or whatever it is, if you're just a guy that likes to throw bait, God bless you if you are. A lot of people like to throw bait. I am not one of them, but that's only a personal preference. It has nothing to do with anything other than my personal preference. Uh, and I don't judge somebody else. If you want to throw bait, great. Here's what I suggest you do. I suggest you take that power bait and you mold it. Uh, you put on like a, a number six or number eight straight shanked hook. 
okay, not a treble hook. And then you mold that power bait into what's known as a ducky. And if you're not familiar with that term, go to my TikTok or my YouTube channel, and I've got several videos uh, on there about power bait fishing, specifically molding and retrieving that power bait. And why that's important is multiple reasons. One, you don't have to wait for fish to come to you. Uh, you can retrieve it and therefore get their attention with that. And it's going to have built-in action. And it's tough to describe here in a podcast. But again, if you go look at the videos or the, the TikTok videos or the YouTube videos, both of those at Fishful Thinker, uh, you'll see what I'm talking about. And the, But more important than any of the any of the other nuances of why it's important to retrieve it is that you can release the fish. They're going to bite that on the retrieve, meaning they're not going to swallow it, meaning they're not going to be deep hooked and you will be able to unhook them same as you would with any other lure or uh, fly or whatever the case might be. So in my mind, that's the single biggest thing. And power bait will catch fish sitting dead on the bottom or floating on the surface or anywhere in between. However, if you build it into a small shape that spins or wobbles and then you retrieve it through the water column with nothing but a small split shot ahead of it on the line, what you'll find is you'll catch more fish and you won't deep hook any of them. And I probably don't have to tell you if you're a fan of this podcast that stalker trout and power bait are for sure a match made in heaven. That's about as easy as it gets when it comes to fishing. That's right up there with dropping a, a, a maggot in front of a bluegill. They're going to eat it every time. And uh, and it's the same thing with power bait for trout, particularly if you make a small shape out of it and then you retrieve it in, you're going to catch a lot of them with it. It's a fantastic way to get kids hooked on fishing because they're going to catch lots of fish. Plus they get to play with power bait, which is not terribly dissimilar to playing with Play-Doh. It's a win-win situation all the way around. So Stalker trout. Yes, I've been a professional angler for 20 years. I've traveled all over the country and several parts of the world chasing fish and this, that, and the other. But I am not so arrogant as to say that I can't go stand on the boat ramp right here and have a good time with a buddy and, like I said, maybe a barley pop and make 50 casts and catch 20 fish and have a great time for an hour and go home. And it's like I said, it's a great way to get somebody who doesn't fish much involved. It's a fantastic way to take advantage of one of those nice, warm, sunshiny days we get in the wintertime here in Colorado where it might only be 35 or 40 degrees, but with the sun beating down on you, it feels really good. And, uh, and it's just a nice time to be around the water. And typically it's going to be very quiet. And the fact that there's lots of willing fish only makes it better. And if you're a Colorado guy, I'll throw out here, I talk to Parks and Wildlife, pretty much every reservoir up and down the Front Range was stocked with stalker trout in the last 45 days. So there's plenty of them there. They're always stocked at the boat ramp. You guys can go find them and get some of them caught. So one more podcast before Christmas. We'll do one more next week. And um, I've got some stocking stuffer ideas for that one for last minute people on your gift. And that's what we'll be talking about next week on the podcast. But I just want to say thank you as this year's winding down. Uh, I always get feeling even more grateful than normal for the career I've been able to have thus far and will hopefully continue to have. And would love to have questions from you guys at any time. If you have questions, let me know. Podcast ideas, TV show ideas. YouTube video ideas, whatever the case may be, let me know and I will be glad to either find the right guest to address your question or address it myself if I feel like I have enough real world experience to do so. So 
Once again, I appreciate it very much. I'm going to respectfully request that you check out sportsmans.com as they're the only reason we're able to do everything that we do. Uh, so while you're doing your shopping, keep those guys in mind. If you guys want to join our social media, that's at Fishful Thinker on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube channel, and of course, we every week on Altitude Sports Entertainment and World Fishing Network. So thanks for listening. This has been Fishful Thinker, the podcast. <laughs>